0: Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. What are we even talking about when we talk about true crime? I'm Rebecca Sebastian, host of the weekly interview format podcast, Dialogue, a true crime conversation. Join me every Wednesday for a new conversation about justice.
1: We live in a post-truth society where justice is elusive.
0: Mystery. All of a sudden, he was startled awake, and he couldn't remember having heard the sound, but he remembered the feeling of having heard a sound. Crime.
1: its The number one thing victims of crime say afterward is, I knew not to get in the elevator with that guy, open the door to my apartment, walk across that dark street.
2: Cults. Ask to be branded, ask to be held down and say, master, you know. Please brand me. It would be an honor for the rest of my life.
0: Culture and more. This system is so
2: ingrained and in so many facets of society. We're talking about the criminal legal system, but it goes far beyond that because this is something that's just really in the consciousness of everyone.
0: And once a month, we'll be shaking it up and lightening it up with some true crime trivia. Dialogue, that's dialogue with a D-I-E, is available on all podcast
2: listening platforms. A Conspiracy for Two. I'm Rebecca Lieb.
1: I'm Jason Horton.
2: And this is Ghost Town.
1: In 2007, the lives of two promising artists ended in tragedy. Their journey takes us from Los Angeles to New York by way of paranoia and conspiracy, This is the story of the Golden Suicides. Mm -hmm. As you can tell by the title, if you are triggered or upset by suicide, it is mentioned in this story. It's not the whole of the story, but it Mm -hmm. is the unfortunate conclusion. Maybe right now is not the best time to listen. Sometimes I'll be like, I'm not in the mood for this right now, and I'll check it later. Or maybe you just want to pass on this one completely, just letting you know ahead of time.
2: Yeah, we have a lot of PG episodes you could uh, circle back to, like the Arch Deluxe, or I don't know, I Feel Fantastic video. Those are great for now.
1: Also, this is one I've been wanting to do for probably about two years, and I just never was in the headspace to do more than just read the articles, look into it, and putting it together because of you know the subject matter. It's an interesting story that involves... New York to Los Angeles involves Hollywood in the story. And then after the fact, it becomes a Hollywood kind of tug of war, people trying to make this movie or this this story come to life. Mm -hmm. I just never was in the headspace to put the information together and talk about it. But here we are.
2: That changes today. That
1: changes today. (laughs) Teresa Duncan and Jeremy Blake met in 1994. They were both activists involved in the punk rock scene in Washington, D.C., hanging around bands. If you're familiar with this band, Nation of Ulysses was kind of in that Fugazi era jazz, very left-wing, kind of radical type music that was coming out of Washington, D.C. in the late 80s and early 90s. Jeremy Blake was hanging around that band just to throw a little Mm -hmm. punk rock Fact in there, in case you're interested in that. They would both move to New York a year later and run into each other yet again backstage at a concert. Teresa Duncan would go on to hire him as her illustrator and art director for her CD-ROMs. Both ended up each other's artistic inspiration. They met, got enamored with each other, mutual respect, and respect for each other's artistic endeavors
2: yeah that's that's very punk of them too to kind of skirt the line between art direction and music and the appreciation for all these it almost reminds me having just started in on the story of courtney love and kurt cobain in a way
1: on paper duncan and blake seemed like the perfect couple happily together for over 12 years until their untimely end duncan was a very promising actress game designer of multiple award-winning cd-roms such as chop suey and zero zero film director, and just a a classically attractive person. And Jeremy was a classically attractive person. Mm. So you love seeing people in love together, making art and be people... People like to see that. People like to be around that. It's totally. very enamoring. It's very gravitational.
2: Totally. It's an ideal. I think so many people I know who are artists who are like, I want to meet someone that I can like, we can inspire each other and collaborate and be these like bohemian artists. It's a very sexy notion.
1: The pair, apparently very talented and successful, appeared to become enthralled in rapid paranoia and a much wider story. The couple had been living together in New York since 1995 and they moved to Los Angeles in 2002 both kind of riding the wave of, of success and, and getting work, which is not always easy. It, it ebbs and flows, but for them, they seem to have a, a pretty consistent amount of success. Duncan was struggling to get her script for Alice Underground made between 2002 and 2004, which was something that became very upsetting to her that she was close to getting this script made and it just did not come to fruition. In her attempts to find backing for her film, Duncan openly would boast how she acquired Rockstar Beck act in the movie Beck mm. is a somewhat central figure to the story
2: interesting uh, not not controversial not controversial
1: <laughs> at all Ooh. unless you think it's going to be completely controversial then it's yes it's yes, very controversial correct, correct she stated that they had met repeatedly to discuss the movie and his involvement Beck however emailed Vanity Fair to say this was not true Mm-mm. straight to Vanity Fair with the truth sure Beck. He had read her script, but never agreed to act. Duncan continued to say how the couple was close to Beck. They did have a a, a friendship or a business casual relationship. It might be a thing where people say things like, yeah, I'm Beck. I'm pretty successful. I'm a, uh, a, an interesting artist. Totally. And sure, yeah, I'll give it a look. And sometimes, listen, we've seen it before. People take those little things, mm-hmm. whether it's somebody saying – you as showing a tiny bit of interest in, in you taking it and being like, let me manifest this a little bit. And it turns out to not necessarily be true. Or yeah. Beck said, yeah, I'm definitely down to do this. I can't wait to do it. And then for some reason was like, no, it's wrong. That's, totally. That's incorrect.
2: We were just talking about this before we recorded the idea of overpromising or having a relationship that you think it's different than what it actually is. That also feels like it's like you're setting up in LA, especially in entertainment. We both know this, like where you meet people or you're friends with people. And every once in a while, friendship skirts the line into professional shit and you don't know how to handle it. Or maybe you handle it not the best. Way you would like, and all of a sudden, like you're saying things that there's a total dissonance between these two things, and at, at the level of like back too, his involvement, especially at that time, could be career making or career breaking. So if you're casual couples friends with him and want a favor, like that's a big time ask.
1: Duncan was very frustrated and upset over the setback and would blame the Church of Scientology. Uh oh, which. I'm not mad at you blaming them. Is mm-hmm. it their fault? It doesn't really matter. Yeah.
2: They say, no, Beck couldn't do this. Also, like, anytime you're like, the point in the story, enter Church of Scientology, you're like, this is not going to go in a good way.
1: And and I'm not a huge fan of the Church of Scientology. However, mm-hmm. that does not mean they're culpable in this story in particular. Yeah. I don't know, but I'm just, just to be in, in, for the sake of fairness, that's my personal opinion on it.
2: Yeah, maybe there's more to the story that we don't know, but that sounds like it was just a friend, either Beck over-promising, or the friend reading, in, Duncan reading more into it than what it was. Tale as old as time, trying to get a screenplay made, having a little bit of success to maybe push off of but not quite enough to get it done, and that going
1: south. Beck publicly told the New York Times about his involvement with Scientology, but stated he had nothing but good things to say about them and would never have told Duncan and Blake that he wanted out of the church like they would claim. So he also made claims that he wanted out of the Church of Scientology. Mm.
2: Were they Scientologists too? No. Okay.
1: They were not Scientologists, but Beck was, and I think they were kind of using and weaponizing and and Mm. making a point of contention to the Church of Scientology. Got it. And- beck just having probably these pure person's like what who are these people what's happening you need to answer for this because they have had enough clout to yeah. make statements and eventually answer for this un- unfortunately mm-hmm. only a few years later in 2006 blake had sent an email to a friend of his depicting how the couple had decided to move back to new york after having to leave their venice bungalow upon receiving notice from their landlord that they were not allowed to stay Blake went out to tell his friends that Duncan and himself had been harassed and defamed by crazy Scientologists. Mm. So here's where their paranoia that Scientology is the cause of anything that was an inconvenience, anything that was deemed negative, was directly because of the Church of Scientology and their campaign against them.
2: Yeah, this is interesting because mm. it sounds like we're about to maybe defend the Church of Scientology a little bit?
1: I think, to be fair, there's a, there's a lot of things to not defend them for. Mm-hmm. But in fairness, I don't think you would add this in particular to the list. But in defense of Duncan and Blake, if you're not familiar with Los Angeles, and this is in many, many cities, but it's hard to be in Los Angeles and not see a reminder, a looming reminder that Scientology has a huge presence here by the buildings, by the iconography. So if you're someone who, for some reason, you've got a little – this little kernel of something that may or may not be true in the tiniest sense, but you're constantly reminded about Scientology's kind of stronghold on Los Angeles Mm -hmm. and and the artist community and the entertainment community, Mm -hmm. it's a little understandable that that would – exacerbate it. I always say that word wrong. Exacerbate. Exacerbate?
2: Like masturbate with an X. Never mind.
1: Okay. Okay. You know what I'm saying.
2: (laughs) But like, for example, I'm not a Scientologist. I've never signed anything about Scientology. I get at least once a week a flyer or paraphernalia from them. And again, no affiliation, never have been at an event of theirs, don't have any Scientologist friends. Just so you know, kind of the casual reach of Scientology
1: in L.A., The Church of Scientology has since denied knowing the couple. Mm -hmm. Blake continued to appear paranoid towards the Bush administration, who was in power at the time, as well as calling out a few media companies for leaning towards Republican. I have no issue with that. No, that sounds good. (laughs) How you let it steer your life? Maybe Mm -hmm. it appears that one of their neighbors, also a couple, who would go on to state how Duncan continuously would show up at their apartment while Blake was away to harass, accuse the girlfriend of being a quote, unquote, cult whore, and even went on to send letters to her filled with defamation and implications that the girlfriend was involved in Scientology. Mm. A little bit of that, I suppose, to use the word witch hunt, where everyone's pointing fingers, but it's just them Mm. pointing fingers at people going, I don't like the way you looked at me. I don't like the way you tried to tell me to pay the rent. Scientologist? Yeah. Is that a strange thing to hear? today or really at any time? Not really. People have their things they believe and the way the world works, I guess.
2: Yeah. It's like in improv, sorry, everyone. Ugh, uh, like the one weird thing kind of a thing. Sure. So it's like the one weird thing with this generally like atypical Hollywood couple, both very successful. Beck, I would say at the peak of his success at this point, is like the Scientology factor of it. So you're like, okay, things are not going well for me. Things are going south. I'm getting evicted. Scientologists are converging upon me. We have to get the fuck out of here. And you're just creating this whole space for yourself that can foster your own feelings of being slighted by your friends and also just by your environment.
1: And the fact of the matter is, we know more about Scientology now than we did in 2006. Just, you know, information available. That Scientology probably did not care. No, are you kidding me? Not to say that Scientology allegedly could not do something like this to someone. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, sure, but in I this case, clear. But in this case, most probably not.
2: Yeah, sounds like it. And this is this is was pre like muckraking journalists going hard on Scientology. Everyone kind of the peak paranoia about Scientology. This is still,
1: it was kind of this fringe religious practice as far as I know. Duncan's paranoia would only continue to increase, feeling that she can trust no one and that men were following them and stalking their home in New York. Her accusations increasing, going so far as to say that one time while walking her dog, a man had said, hey, what a sweet dog. It would be too bad if something happened to it. She also said that they found a dead cat on the roof as if someone put it there. Constant phone calls with no one at the other end of the line. She was terrified and Blake wanted to protect her. Friends said that they had believed her since she's never seen her this way before. It wasn't like – she has a history of X, Y, and Z. This is something new, at least to their knowledge. Mm -hmm. So it seemed more legitimate, not a, a crying wolf situation. I guess this, yeah. if you never knew someone to be paranoid or be like, I'm getting these weird phone calls, you wouldn't be like, oh, you never were like that before. But it sounds like now you're starting to just make things up. You'd be like, oh, wow, this sounds legitimate. You're you're somewhat in, in this world where the stakes might be higher as far as profile.
2: See, now I'm back on board with like maybe Scientologists are doing – I can tell like when we talk about a lot of things about friends who are like, yeah, they were in a bad spot or this is totally – a part of their movement into a different kind of mental space. But friends who are like, no, they've never been like that. And they're just saying that Scientology is following them, and there's some dead animals involved. I don't know. Now I'm like, maybe they are.
1: And I can't say this for sure. I don't know. But if you look at now, have you ever known anyone to be relatively chill, and then all of a sudden, they're consumed with the idea of the government trying to control them and how information is not what information is. And I get my information from alternative sources. I've seen people do that, especially these days where I'm like, you were relatively chill and now you're consumed you're with the deep end. QAnon, you're, uh, cons- you're consumed with vaccines, with microchips. I've se- I've, And I've been like, you've never were like that before. I feel like this resonates with that. You just-
2: yes. That doesn't happen overnight. There's like at least a couple evenings filled with YouTube videos and something. This
1: has been going on for some time, like escalating over the course of years, but not 10 years, but Mm -hmm. like one, two, three years where things start slowly moving from one place to the other and kind of bringing that with Mm -hmm. them and then them together, kind of feeding off each other. Some people have issues that they don't check and then you're kind of pushed to the test of finding some success, but then also those high highs and those low lows and getting something in your head that says, now it's more, it's, it's something, it's the external factors that are keeping my thing from being successful. It's just a matter of people looking at her script and being like, oh, this looks interesting. And then it just not happening, mm-hmm. which, I mean, how many times has it happened to you or I, I plus be- a radius of where we're at right now. and. When that happened, you were like, huh, it's not because my script isn't good and not a, like a billion-dollar script. It's because mm-hmm. this I'm factor. Uh, I'm Jewish. It. Or uh, I uh, lean this way towards that. Well, that's the email, the, the
2: attachment didn't send.
1: And that's why when I see people that feel like they're not finding success, it's because of the l- liberal media. Mm-hmm. It's because of George Soros' paid – Blank. I, I realize not everything is black and white and realize not everything is cut and dry. I have my reservations about certain things like everyone should, but taking that and being like, no, now this is the cause of it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's anything that is not going my way is not because it's not good They want to do it, but someone else has a personal vendetta against me in the city of Los Angeles, in the city of New York, where there's millions and millions and millions of people doing things all the time, nonstop, 98.9% of them not happening. Yeah. Or if this was three years ago, it'd be better. If it was five years later, it'd be better. We make those concessions to Mm -hmm. keep ourselves (laughs) relatively sane. These are the, I believe, the concessions that she made and is believed that the concessions that she was making and hard to speak about where she was emotionally. People sometimes are just, yeah. you get older, you get an existential crisis, believe all, kinds me, all kinds of things. And it just kind of all adds up and some people deal with it one way and some people deal with it another way. Who Who's to say what the actual true medical clinical answer is? Mm-hmm. That's what make the, that makes these stories, I guess. So tellable and retellable because there's no definitive answer. Her friends thought the paranoia was unlike her. Blake, however, would tell friends that it would die down. He was a little more of the evenly keeled one. Mm
2: -hmm. Peacemaker. For now. For now.
1: Duncan's behavior would become erratic, ruining friendships and business opportunities for both herself and Blake. Yep. Duncan would go on to write a 27-page document to be used for a lawsuit against the Church of Scientology. She blamed actor Tom Cruise for ruining her film project with Paramount. Cruise denied the claim. She would call people out on the blog she launched in 2005 about conspiracies, Blake's ex-girlfriend, old friends, and others. Wow. So she had a hit list.
2: Damn, a blog. That's that's rough. But also Tom Cruise actually responded back, denying claims. He entertained the attack, essentially, of this woman on Himself and his church. That's something that would have never be done. Now he just like took time out of his day to be like, "No, this woman is is wrong. G- good day to
1: you all." I'm I'm thinking maybe. The Church of Scientology, maybe, and his—he you know, his probably has a team of what, two people <laughs> or six thousand? <000 laughs> but that even are probably still like, like they
2: don't ever—they didn't ever—they resp- don't respond to anything
1: these days. But, and when it hits these like kind of big news outlets, which I guess it does, he yes. says no.
2: Hit the presses, denied.
1: One thing Tom Cruise did confirm is that we are going to take a little break.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well.
1: Hi, hello, how are you? Hello, hello. We're checking in. Forget about all that right now. <laughs> we just talked about and... Leave it all behind. How are you doing? We're doing it.
2: We're, we're doing it day by day. Yeah. Oh, minute by minute, I guess. Yeah. Making January work for us.
1: We want to say hello to anyone who's listening, anyone who supports or shares the show, and to all of our patrons. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And to our... Limited, small, not intrusive government. Mm-mm, mm-mm. <laughs> the mayors. The mayors. Ashley Matson. Hello. David Bull. Hello. <laughs> Dara Rosenzweig. Hello. James Harrington. Hello. I say it very <laughs>
2: intense. You, you said like two of them really intense and one, another one like kind of playfully.
1: <laughs> Read into it. <laughs> now we're playing mind games. <laughs> no. And to our governor. Sitting on mountain high, Uh, fair and just. That's right. But in an ivory tower. Absolutely. We wouldn't have her any other way. Avian Avian Noble. Noble. So if you want early access, bonus episodes, just the good stuff, and depending on your version of good stuff, patreon.com slash ghost town pod. Absolutely. Check
2: it out. We have uh, a comment about our last episode about the Haunted Mansion secret entrance, a correction of sorts, I would say, from Christopher Garcia, friend of the pod. I've been on his podcast. He's lovely, very knowledgeable about lots of things, and we are grateful for it. So he says, great Haunted Mansion episode. Thank you very much. I wrote a doc about the ride, and that door has actually always been there and was part of the original design when it was going to be a walkthrough like my beloved Winchester house. Winchester House shout out too, amazing. The door has always been there, and that's kind of an interesting spin on it. Again, I'm very curious to see it myself. Who knows when I'll get to Disney at this point? All Thank right. you, Chris. Thank, Thank you.
1: you, keeping us, keeping us, Keep us in check. Honest. You know? So let's go back to New York City. Okay. St. Mark's, little Greenwich Village, place that I used to hang out in back in the day when I was Ooh. rocking and rolling. Ooh. In early January of 2007, the couple would move into the St. Mark's Church Rectory in New York, and almost immediately befriended Father Frank Morales. Morales was also quite interested in conspiracies.
2: Hmm.
1: More fuel to the fire. The apartment at the rectory was quite beautiful and said to be haunted by famous individuals such as Edgar Allan Poe and Harry Houdini. Hmm. The couple had one issue though: finances. That's usually the
2: ain't it the way.
1: Morales felt they belonged there, and after they borrowed money for the deposit from family, the place was theirs for $5,000 a month. Whoa. We're talking 2007.
2: Oof. Oof. That's rough. That's— That's a lot of money. When you're already down and out, had to leave L.A. because you couldn't stay in that apartment, now you want to stay in an expensive church area? Hmm.
1: It's saying St. Mark's in 2007? I mean, still, $5,000—just do the math and be like, does that seem reasonable? Yeah. Probably not. Scientologists
2: can probably get in there too, you guys.
1: Blake had a very important art show coming up and needed money, so he would accept a consulting job at Rockstar Games. Hmm, Rockstar. They created Grand Theft Auto. Oh, I've there. heard of that. It's a hot ticket item. <laughs> where he had worked 10 years prior. He did not want to go back, but they needed money. They were both drinking more frequently, paranoia only continuing, Morales claimed that Duncan would reach out to him about what troubled her. She would often ask Morales to share his conspiracy theories when out with friends, which in nightclub settings felt odd to him. He's like, Mm. that's interesting.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Kind of a downer.
1: Blake told Morales he had purchased a gun for protection as the couple's worries grew and grew. So Oof,
2: another tale as old as time with increasing paranoia, bringing firearms into the mix, never a good idea.
1: A psychiatrist friend of Blake's was concerned for him, and although interview footage of the couple with Blake talking about his artwork showed them as happy and just as in love as they'd always been, Duncan would organize a fundraiser for the church they'd become frequent attendees to Sunday Mass. Interesting joining a church when... Felt like another church, I know it's different, I'm not saying yeah. it's the same thing. But also That's with what paranoia, is- like you said before, so many things lead to the justification of certain actions. They would, however, not make an appearance that night, which Morales found odd. The night before Duncan's death, the couple had met at a restaurant with film producer Carrie Woods and George Pelicanos – They seemed interested in their ideas for a new movie called Nick's Trip. Things seemed promising for the couple. The next day, July 10th, Blake had come home to go to lunch with Duncan like he normally did. No one knows where they went or what they talked about. Later that night, around 7 p.m., Blake returned home from work. He invited Morales upstairs, where he had met in the church's garden. Morales said he would join them in a few minutes. Ten minutes later, the police arrived at the home. Morales rushed up the stairs to the apartment to find Blake hysterical, screaming, This can't be happening. Duncan had been found by her boyfriend dead in bed. Mm. Empty bottles of pills and a glass of champagne at the bedside table. Mm. Her face seemed frozen in a smile, one hand reaching up to her face. Morales would stay with Blake until the body had been removed and friends arrived to care for Blake. Her death was too hard to believe or understand for those that knew her. Blake said he would continue his upcoming art show and he would have it once he recovered, which unfortunately he never would. A week after Duncan's suicide on July 17th, Blake had been meant to travel to Detroit with friends the next day. He went to work like normal, insisting to friends he felt okay, but he never came home. He said he was going to visit a sound designer friend who lived in Brooklyn but never showed up. It turns out after leaving Rockstar offices, Blake had taken the train to Rockaway Beach— where his mother had been born. He stripped his clothes, left them on the beach, and walked into the water. Around 8 p.m., a woman called 911 saying she thought she had seen a man, matching Blake's description, walk naked into the water and never came back. On the back of a business card left with his work clothes, it read, I am going to join the lovely Teresa. On July 22nd, fishermen fisherman would find his body washed up in New Jersey. Mm. God. So just walked into the water and the water, never came Yeah.
2: Out. And also, I mean, these details are just so haunting. The smile on her face, him going to the place where his mother was born. It just feels so charged and sentimental and not that it's
1: ever not emotional, but just these these details are just so raw. The couple's tragic love story peaked major media attention in New York and even piqued interest in a film. At the time, author of American Psycho, Brett Easton Ellis, was hired to write the screenplay. Talks on Twitter by Ellis mentioned that Ryan Gosling may have been meant to play Jeremy Blake, alongside Naomi Watts, as Teresa Duncan. The directors would go on to say they didn't feel the pair were a good casting choice, and it's since 2011. We haven't heard much more about it. I know Gus Van Zandt was mentioned to maybe direct
2: I mean that makes more sense Brett Easton Ellis writing a screenplay about this seems like a talk about a bad fit <laughs> I don't know
1: yeah he's a con- contentious person I guess yeah. to be like I guess depending on, on I guess on what year he said he w- was gonna write it because during American psycho it was like kind of do no wrong and then he's yeah. you know, he's a, you know yeah. interesting interesting person to to do it and uh, it's such a Strange story, and there's I know Jeremy Blake did I think artwork for Beck mm-hmm. for his albums and stuff like that. So some pretty some pretty high profile stuff, and people that live together and essentially die together. It's it's hard when you live with someone in your in a relationship. It's hard not to take on some of their points of view. Absolutely. Whatever it is now, I like to eat Hungarian food. Or mm-hmm. oh, now. I do like to watch movies with subtitles, or Mm -hmm. maybe now we share different uh, moral or social values. Yeah, we're
2: both doing keto. It's like, you can't help but be that way.
1: And from what it seems, Blake wasn't so far off from it. Mm -hmm. But I think he, they enabled each other in a certain way, in a way that you think you're being supportive of the other person mm-hmm. without realizing that it's for better, for worse, bad, no matter what it is that they're, they're, they're feeling or, or whatever, and it becomes toxic for each other. And when you're only allowing people in that aren't going to. Nay, say it mm-hmm. and that's what ha- right it's not like hey we'd like to hear many different points of view on your thoughts of this conspiracy or mm-hmm. what we think about the u.s government or what we think about the the entertainment industry yeah and i'm sure no one's thinking any of the worst with they're st- still working and they're like oh we just moved we don't need to borrow money for a, a place you don't think like oh this isn't going to last very long mm-hmm. you think it's going to be like great you're just continuing and we hope that you keep finding success because you're always working in something. It's not like a, mm-hmm. a fake it till you make it. It's especially, you know, during that time, like a really strange time, like it's like on the precipice of a, of a huge you know, depression and you know, yeah. economic crisis and just these bits of information. It is that of a story. when you end up in a church at St. Mark's with a conspiracy theorist priest yeah. and back in Scientology in Los Angeles and, and, you have Tom Cruise in the mix. It, it it makes total sense, but it's one of those. I, I don't know who owns the rights to the story, if how how that works, and it seems to be in some kind of limbo. If people think like this is not interesting enough to tell or make a movie about, if we don't have all the moving pieces or the right people behind it, but there's a van. The Vanity Fair article is probably the the centerpiece of of the message of this. Mm-hmm. Is where I first saw it. Golden Suicides is something that kind of was born from that, giving this a title and like you said, it's romanticizing it. Mm-hmm, it's, absolutely. It's, it's adding something to it that sometimes you need to put a title on it to keep the story going, just as we talk about hauntings. The, you know, the woman in white, the woman in black, uh totally. the the when you talk about uh, serial killers, killers. they yeah. they the the night stalker
0: mm-hmm. is
1: going to keep the story going more than uh, Richard Ramirez was killing a lot of people for a certain amount of time.
2: Exactly. Exactly. I think the romance and you put enough of these kind of mixed bag factors in Scientology, paranoia, the art world, entertainment, like you mix them all together, like there is the makings of an interesting story. And I'm not even opposed. I don't think anyone really, I don't think anyone has the rights to it. I'm not opposed to hearing this story told, but you just wonder how we told and it feels like there's so much that's kind of up in the air about it, even with why do you, why did that why did he walk in the ocean? Was it because he was also hooked by conspiracies and was like, "I'm next. I have to do this next or was it guilt, like an all-consuming guilt about what happened to his partner? Like we I don't know if there's more to know about this or if there's more interviews
1: to be had or if this is just kind of what we get. I think there's some after the fact mm-hmm. things which always kind of happen people that know them, oh, I maybe notice this or maybe people don't want to admit that. People mm-hmm. don't want to take, hey, I I don't want to preserve their memory. I want to kind of air their dirty laundry mm-hmm. about things that I saw. It depends on the kind of person you are and if it's really bring peace to it, or is it just adding to your own personal involvement in it? And that's really I guess depends on the your point of view or your opinion on that. But he he went back to work. I mean, this happened and he's working yeah there's no hey listen i'm gonna chill mm-hmm. for a second i'm gonna be with family i'm going to seek therapy he was back at work this happens like a week apart like this is like a short oh. amount of time apart oh so it's uh yeah uh, get a massage talk to a
2: therapist do not call back <laughs>